I first want to just say uh, I'm so proud of you guys as youth, as teens. Uh, you guys are awesome, and I get this. So can we just give a round of applause for our <laughs> children? I know it takes a lot of courage to get up here and public speak and do all of those things, but uh, you guys are awesome. And I also just want to invite Tim back up, and I, I think I speak on behalf of the entire church when we say we're proud of you. And um, yeah, if you just want to come on up. Tim, I have learned a lot from you and what it means to be crazy, but also to love what it means to love kids. And you're awesome, man. I'm so thankful for you. And this is just a little something for us. So you're awesome, Tim. Thank you for all that you do. I can't imagine a life at Neighborhood without Tim. Really, I, I can't imagine it. Uh, so, hey, today I just want to share... Uh, some, some ideas, some, some practical steps or practical thoughts on what does it mean for us as, as a church, as individuals, to kind of pass the baton on to uh, the next generation, right? Like how, how can we successfully uh, kind of influence and, and pour into and, and lead, you know, those coming after us in a, in a healthy uh, and successful way? And, and listen, before you tune out, uh, this, isn't, this isn't just a parenting message. Uh, this is really like a discipleship message because I'm 23. Uh, I'm not married. Don't know really the first thing about parenting. I'm sorry. I am married. Whoa. Whoa. My bad. I am married. I am married, but I don't have kids. I'm sorry. I'm married, but I, I don't have kids. Uh, I'm young, so I'm still figuring this out. Uh, but I have had some awesome uh, youth leaders and mentors pour into me and that have, have lived out some of these principles that I'm going to share with you all. Uh, I've seen friends have awesome godly parents that have shaped and poured into them that I've, I've kind of saw and learned from a distance. I've uh, also had my dad raise me and I saw you know him do some good things as well as some bad things. And so at the end of the day, I am someone that wants to use my influence I have and leverage it in a healthy way uh, over the people around me. So I don't know if you guys know this, but we all have influence. We all have influence. You don't need to be on a platform. You don't need to be in a, uh, a certain job to have influence because people are always going to look at your life and say, wow, that's what a Christian is supposed to look like. Or that, that's what a Christian is supposed to say. Or I, I guess that's what a Christian, how a Christian responds to us, or responds to situations. So we all have influence. You know, our lives are on display, especially to, to younger people, uh, to people looking at our lives. Um, so... Yeah, at the end of the day, you know, we teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. Like, we teach what we know. We can tell people to do things. We can tell people this is what we care about. We can tell people uh, this is the main thing in my life. But who we are, what we, what we do on a day-by-day basis, those are the things that people really uh, get to know about us. And so for us, or for me, uh, growing up, my dad raised my brother, and I was just three guys in the house, so a lot of testosterone. And uh, listen, I... I always told myself, like, you know, I'm not going to end up like my dad. Or I'm not going to do the things he did. But I feel like it's inevitable to some extent uh, for us to, like, not carry some of the traits of our parents. Like, we're going to have something, whether it's, you know, the like, the dislike. At, at some degree, there's going to be something that we carry that our parents had. And so my dad, to this day, is the most stubborn man I've ever met. That's just the reality. Uh, he would 
right? He's, he was very stubborn. And I remember on Saturday mornings, we'd go, and I'd be like, oh, Dad, can we go to the mall? Because we passed the mall on the way home. And he would just look at me. He, would, he wouldn't say anything. So I'm like, I don't know what this means. So I, I, I get up early Saturday morning, sacrifice sleep and TV time. I, I go with my dad to the bank, and I'm like all giddy, like, we're going to go to the mall. And uh, we, we would leave the bank, and we'd come to this light. And it's like the mall is literally on the right. But to go home, we keep going straight. And uh, nine times out of ten, we went straight. So, like, and I think the thing that bothered me is, like, my dad never communicated. He would just look at me. I would say, Dad, 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 can we go to the mall? Can we go to the mall? And he would just, and then just, you know, keep it moving. Uh, but once his mind was made up on something, like, there was no changing it, that is what it was going to be. And uh, I, so I told myself, like, I will not be stubborn. I saw what it did to my childhood. I will do better. But, you know, you can ask Sam. I can be pretty stubborn. Like, I, I can have some things in my life where I'm like, this is just how it is. Like, we're not changing. We're not budging. Like, this is what we're doing. Uh, and I don't think I'm as stubborn, but I, I can definitely be a hard sell on, on certain things. Like, that is just the reality. And so, you know, as as a church family, as, as followers of Jesus, we're commissioned to use our, our influence in a certain way. Like God tasks us, every single one of us individually, to use our influence to pour out into the next generation. And uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, in verses 5 through 9, this is, uh, this is God's word, and this is what it says. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them uh, on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So the reason this text matters is because it's saying that parenting is the primary uh, method that God uses to pass on the things that he values, right? Like there's always going to be new generations that are coming after us, like, you know, they're up today, and they're totally different from how we grew up. New technology, us to pour into this new generation the things that he values, the things that he cares about, the things that, you know, break his heart, or the things that bring him joy. And the primary method, uh, I think, in scripture is through the home. It's, It's through parenting. And before I get into this, I just want to um, lay out two traps I want you all to avoid. Uh, number one, I want you to avoid the trap of like comparing yourself to all of these things. Like the goal is to not discourage you. The goal is to not say, I didn't do any of those things. I'm terrible. This is meant to challenge you, to encourage you to think, okay, today, uh, you know, what could you start doing? And then the second trap I want us all to avoid is to compare our parents to this list because uh, it's easy to say, well, my you know, mom or dad didn't do any of those things and therefore blah. So that's, that's not the point of this uh, message. Um, also, I just want to reiterate, it doesn't matter if you're a parent, it doesn't matter if you're single, it doesn't matter if you're empty nester, it doesn't matter if you're retired, it doesn't matter if you're young or old. I think there are things uh, that I'm going to share that can apply to all of us. So I just encourage you uh, to just have open ears and just be open to what God may have for you this morning. So I want to give you 10 ways on how to pass the baton, if you will, to the next generation. And the first way to do this is to see children as a blessing. See children as a blessing. Uh, Psalm 127, verses, an offspring of a ward from him like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children's born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame. 
when they contend with their opponents in court. Um, and I think so many people in our culture, like we see kids as like this hindrance or this inconvenience. Uh, and, and, you know, especially young married people are like, oh, I want to wait a long time before I have kids. And listen, like I, I used to have that exact same heart. Like I would look at my friends that got married and had kids super young and I would just say, good luck. Like that, that is not for me. Uh, and, and honestly, I had to come to this point of kind of repenting before the Lord because I would say, God, I have these dreams, I have these desires, I have these goals, I have all of these things I want to do in my life. Can you make that happen? Right? And then I, I wouldn't necessarily say, like, God, I'm open to whatever you have. I just had this, this agenda, and I was like, God, this is how my life needs to turn out. Can you make it happen? And kids don't necessarily fit in that for, like, five years. Sam's not pregnant. I'm just, <laughs> let me just put that, put that out there. Um, but it, it was this heart change that I had because culture always says, like, children are a hindrance. Children are a distraction. Like, wait as long as you can before you have them. Uh, but the reality is, like, kids are a blessing. They're such a blessing. And if you waited to have kids or not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I think we could get consumed with how our lives ought to look, right? Like our version of a good life rather than saying, God, this also doesn't change, you know, once kids grow up to become teenagers. Like they're not blessings at one and then they hit 14. They're like, "Mm, I don't know what I did, right? They're, They're always a blessing. And I think one thing I remember from being a teenager and working with teenagers is that they need love. They need support. They, they need patience. They, they need people that are going to rally around them and say, man, I believe in you. And I think they need people to see them as blessings, not burdens. And I, I know uh, I'm not a parent. I can only imagine parenting a 16-year-old every day. Uh, my heart goes out to you all. Um, but even, you know, me being at MEPA, me working with uh, teens here at the youth group, me remembering what it was like to be a teen, man, I was thankful when people saw me as a blessing. So point two it starts with you. It starts with you and it starts with me. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And I think the best gift that we can give to our children or, or those younger than us is a spiritually healthy us, okay? Because we can't give to, to people what we don't have. And, and we can't expect people to, to follow us to places that we've never gone. And, and, and I think I'm challenged by this often because you know, Wednesday night, I'd be like, are you guys telling your friends about Jesus? Are you getting on top of lunch tables and, and preaching the gospel? Are you doing all of these things? And I have to say, whoa, Jordan, does my life reflect that? Am, am I doing those things? Because it's easy to say, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. But I have to step back and say, does my life live out this? You know, because I can teach a whole bunch of things, but man, am I living that out? Um, and, and I think kids, they want to see that our faith cost us something. They want to see us have this radical generosity. They want to see us have this radical hospitality. There's so many non-Christians that can be nice. There's so many non-Christians that can love them and bend over backwards to serve them at their schools and their neighborhoods. And I think uh, teens, especially teenagers, young adults, they want to see a faith in their parents that says, man, you have something that no one else in this world has. You have this love, this hope, this generosity that my English teacher doesn't have, that the mailman doesn't have, that that so-and-so doesn't have. And so I I think it starts with us. And so my encouragement for you guys is to spend time uh, uh, nurturing your faith. Spend time, man, at at Bible study. Spend time uh, in the presence of God. Spend time allowing your heart to, to look more and more like Jesus because that is not time wasted, all right? Uh, because it starts with you and it starts with me. Point three, 
Be present. Be present. First Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 8, Paul is writing to this church, and he says, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not just the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So we're excited to share our lives as well. And we live in a busy world, especially in New York. A million things are happening at one uh, 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 time, but I think kids are hungry for attention. They're hungry for time spent. We all are, uh, but especially kids growing up, teenagers, young adults, they're hungry for people that are present. I tell people all the time, I don't remember anything my youth pastor taught me. I don't remember anything. But I remember the time he spent with me. I remember him being inconvenienced for me. I remember him taking me out to Taco Bell. I remember us going to his house and playing Jenga. Like, I, I remember uh, that he showed up to all of my games. Like, I, I remember him being present, and that was the, one of the biggest things that, that mattered. And I think that, you know, especially as we get older with more responsibilities, we can be physically present but mentally absent. You know, like you can be in a space with someone, but, you know, you're on your phone or you're watching a sports game or we're doing all of these things. So one thing I've just tried to practice is if I'm talking to someone, I try to put my phone down, put put screen down, put the book down, just look someone in their eyes and say, like, I'm present in this moment. You know, because it's, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I try to multitask a lot. Like, yeah, yeah, right. I, uh-huh, you're talking to me. But it's like, Put it down and just say, I'm here in this moment with you right now because that matters, all right? Uh, point number four, make the most out of ordinary moments. This is what if when you walk, when you sit at, at home on your across the street, but make the most out of ordinary moments. And by that, I mean discipleship doesn't just happen in a classroom. Like Jesus didn't grab the 12 disciples and say, hey, come listen to me lecture for X amount of hours. He said, I want to invite you into the ordinary moments of my life and show you this is how I treat sick people. This is how I treat Pharisees. This is how I, I love people that reject me, right? So in the ordinary moments in our lives, like don't despise those things because kids are watching. They're, they're always watching, like how do you talk about other people? people you disagree with, like what do we model in traffic, uh, what do you do when, when life doesn't go our way, what do we spend our money and our time and our energy on, how many times do we find ourselves complaining in a given day, like your day-by-day life matters exponentially more than the things that we say and teach. So don't overlook those ordinary moments because you can use them as teaching moments, uh, and, and that is discipleship. Like, this is why I didn't react to that guy that, you know, yelled at me uh, in, in Starbucks. Or, this is why we give to the church. This is why uh, we always have people into our homes. Use those things to teach your kids, like, this is how God has changed my life, and this is, uh, yeah, this is what matters. Number five, be consistent. Be consistent. Uh, We have to be consistent with our word, with our discipline, with our encouragement, with our lives, with our church engagement in our our Christian walk. Like I learned quickly in youth ministry, uh, the the number way to lose influence with uh, a a teenager is to say you're going to do something and then not do it. Like that, that is the number one way for people to just lose their trust in you. And we all know this to be true in our own lives. Like if you have a boss uh, if you have someone that, that says they care about something or say they're about this one thing, but then their life kind of models something different, you start to kind of lose trust for that person because you're like, you say this, but you don't actually live that out. We know how disappointing it is for people to overpromise but under-deliver. Um, so, so kids need to see us model giving. 
right? They need to see us singing. They need to see us reading scriptures. They need to see us serving and not just talking about it. One thing I had to think about is like, man, does my life outside of these four walls, uh, is it consistent with my life inside of these four walls? Because I think a lot of people, uh, I think church culture can sometimes become this thing where it's like, you know, we get dressed up and we put on like our Sunday best, uh, but outside of these four walls, it's like, whoa, we're, we're different people. And I'm not saying you have to be perfect because we're all on this journey together. Um, but the things you value, the things you talk about, like, does that match your life on set? I think we have to think about that. Uh, number six, model repentance. Model of repentance. Matthew 5, verse 23 through 24 says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. I think modeling repentance is such a big thing. And in marriage, I've only been married for two and a half months, but I've learned this lesson really quickly. Um, because I mess up, we mess up, and uh, we need to come and say, I was wrong. I remember the other week I had cleaned the house, and I was super excited because I think I cleaned the house and made dinner for Sam. She wasn't home. I think she was at work or something. And uh, so I'm cleaning it. I'm super excited. And then I go out to hang out with uh, one of my friends. And while I'm out, I'm expecting this, this long text saying, Jordan, you're the greatest husband. Thank you for cleaning. Thank you for cooking. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did all this stuff for me. Uh, but I never got a text. So when I'm out, uh, I, w- I was just kind of grumpy, like, she, did she not recognize the spick and spanness of the bathroom? Did, did she not recognize how, how the food that I made for did What happened? So when I got home, naturally, I was kind of grumpy and a little distant and cold. And she's like, how you doing? I'm like, fine. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, like, I, I was dis. She's like, whoa, what's, what's, what's happening with you? And I ha- had to take some time. And honestly go before the Lord and say, like, this, this, isn't, this isn't cool, because what had happened was um, I was cleaning and serving Sam, but expecting to get something out back from her, you know? So rather than just doing it because I love her and she's my wife and I should serve her by cleaning the house, I was serving her in hopes of her validating something in me. So I had to go and say, Sam, I'm sorry, because that's not the heart I should have. That's not the heart that, that pleases, that, that honors Jesus. Uh, man, would you forgive me for that? I, I want to be a better servant. And I, and I think we have to model that exact same thing uh, with, with kids. And asking forgiveness uh, can actually turn mistakes into teachable moments. You know, asking forgiveness can t- take mistakes and just turn them into a teachable moment. Like, I wasn't right. I was looking for approval and, and validation and whatever, and all of these different things rather than Jesus. I'm, I'm sorry I did that. So a question for all of us to consider is like, when's the last time you've asked for forgiveness? Whether it's, you know, child, grandchild, spouse, person you're trying to lead and disciple. But like, when's the last time uh, you've asked for forgiveness? And if it's been over a month, that's probably too long uh, because we are, we're, messed, we're, we're broke. I haven't here. We, we never want to let our authority get in the way of our humility. And I think it can be super challenging to humble ourselves before people who are younger than us, especially, um, because it's, it's humbling to come to a child, a teenager, a young adult, your son, daughter, whatever, and to say, like, I, I was wrong. Because I think as we get older, 
we want to believe that we have more of a handle on life, that like we, we got it going on, we've learned from our, our younger years, and I think part of that is definitely true, but we're still people, and we will mess up, and the people around us, especially those closest to us, see that, and if we don't uh, acknowledge that, you know, it's, it's, I don't think it's healthy, and I think part of the reason we don't maybe uh, model repentance is because we tell ourselves the worst thing that I can do is recognize my faults. Like the worst thing I can do is recognize my brokenness. Like how is this person going to view me if I tell them like I messed up or I'm not perfect? And, and I think we tell ourselves like that's the worst thing that we can do. But the worst thing we can do is not to acknowledge our faults. I think the worst thing we can do is to pretend as though they're not there. Because I think that does something to our hearts where it's like they can start to become calloused rather than allowing grace to cleanse us and grace to free us. And uh, acknowledging our sin is such a powerful thing because he can restore relationships. But if we act as though they're not there, you know, we, we kind of get trapped in, in a place that, that's not fun. Uh, so, so don't deny your sin. You know, humble yourself and, and just model repentance because that's what we want our kids to do. And then number seven is uh, protecting, uh, back up just to play some music in the back, um, protect and then prepare. My best friend just had a baby. He's 23, young, newly married, just had a child. And uh, Sam's cousin just had a baby too. And it's interesting because when newborn babies come into this world, like for the parents, the world kind of becomes a dangerous place. Like, naturally, the parents are like, do you know how to hold a child? Did you wash your hands? They want to make sure you don't have tiny choking hazards, like, lying around your house. Like, the world becomes a dangerous place for a a parent with newborn babies. And I think, I'm not a parent, um, naturally, but I think as as kids are growing up, parents do a lot of protecting, right? They're protecting their kids from falling off a cliff. They're protecting their kids from uh, danger. They're protecting their kids from false messages. I'm sure a lot of you do these things or have done them. But at some point, we have to move from just protecting to preparing. You know, uh, Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train a child up in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I don't know this balance perfectly uh, because I'm not a child uh, parent, but I know that if a child is overprotected, uh, they're vulnerable and they're, they're not necessarily exposed to the realities of life. But then if they're overexposed, they're, they're just not able to, to handle stuff that they're too young to process. So I think there's a balance, but at some point we have to move from protecting to preparing and, and releasing and sending them out. Number eight is love your spouse. Love your spouse. Mark 10, verse 7 through 9 says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So I think apart from a spiritually healthy you, the second most important thing we can give to our kids is a healthy marriage. And hey, I recognize uh, there may be a single parent, single parent, single grandparents, uh, and I just, two thoughts for that. One, um, you may be married again one day. I don't know. Maybe you'll be married again one day. But then two, the way we talk about people who aren't in our lives anymore matters a lot to our kids. Matters a lot. Um, But if you are married, protecting, act like I'm a professional. I'm only two months into this. 
all right? Um, but I think, you know, kids need a healthy example of what commitment looks like. They need an example of what healthy marriage looks like. They, they need an example of uh, what mom and dad committed to one another growing and, and having fun and just growing in their love looks like. Like I have friends that have had their parents focus so much attention on them, but then as time went on, like the parents kind of grew apart and apart and apart. And uh, I just want to encourage you, like, have fun. Like, I'm young. I don't have a lot of responsibilities. But I don't want to use that as an excuse to say, once I'm older, I can't go on dates. Because, man, have fun. Go on dates with your spouse. Make time for, for them. Don't be so consumed with all the baseball games, all this and that, where, you know, you two forget the commitment and the covenant that you entered in with one another. So I just encourage you with that. Kids need a healthy example of what marriage looks like. Number nine, almost done, almost done. Number nine is pray persistently. Pray persistently. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I really believe that prayer is the real work of parenting. It's the real work of discipleship. It's the real work of leading. It's the real work of influence. And I've been to a few weddings where, you know, you have the parents stand up and, and they say something like, I've prayed for you every night to the, the groom or the bride. And they say, um, you know, I, I met you just a year ago. I'm sorry. They say, I met you just a year ago, but I've been praying for you for 20. And I'm so thankful that, that you're that guy or girl that was right for my son or daughter. Like prayer matters. And it's, it's interesting because it takes the same amount of time to worry and to complain than it does to pray. You know, I'm really starting to be convicted by that recently. And, you know, worrying doesn't get us anywhere. It just leads us to more worry and it's like this bottomless pit. But prayer, man, that can lead to miracles happening. Miracles in your home, in your life, in your kids' life. Prayer is worth it. And I see this in, in youth ministry. Like I can be worried. I, I can be so focused on having like the most polished sermon or having the, the, the smoothest night or be so worried about like uh, our kids listening. Uh, how, how is everything going to go? But at the end of the day, it's prayer that changes hearts. Like, I can present the gospel in the smoothest way you've ever heard, but if I'm not praying uh, for these kids day in and day out, the Holy Spirit's not just going to work. So I'm learning that prayer is the real work of parenting and leading and discipling. And number 10, you can, you can breathe out, is this. Trust God. I think we have to trust God with our kids because at the end of the day, we can't change people. We can't even change ourselves. And so we can't save them. We can't make someone fall in love with Jesus. We can't manufacture a faith in someone else. So, so what do we do? I think we learn to trust God with our children. And I know uh, many in here have this desire for their kids or nephews or grandkids to come back to the faith. And as I was kind of thinking about this, I had this revelation like the Holy Spirit desires that so much more. Like God is, is in love with our kids. He's in love with you. And, and he will not abandon any single person in this world because, man, he cares for them in a way we can't even imagine. So it's like when you're ready to throw in the towel, when you're ready to call it quits, and you're ready to say, I'm done, God isn't. And I'm learning to rest in the fact over the kids or teens that I lead. Like, man, at the end of the day, I can only do so much, but when I'm tired when I'm at wit's end. Man, God is, he doesn't run out of energy. 
He doesn't run out of faithfulness. He doesn't run out of steam. He, he doesn't run out of love. He doesn't run out of grace. He doesn't run out of mercy. Like God is in full steam even when we have nothing left to give. Like you can trust God with your kids. So that's the list. And uh, at this time, I just want to invite the kids to come up. And I want to invite the parents to come and just huddle around your kids. And what we're going to do is uh, just spend time praying for your kids. I'm, Danny's just going to play softly. Uh, I'll step down to this side. But I, I invite you, uh, parents, grandparents, to come and pray over your kids. And uh, after that, I'll come and close and uh, we'll be dismissed. But... I think that'd be fitting. So I encourage you, come on up uh, and pray with your son.